uh, here in the beginning of Luke 5 when Jesus was there at the edge of the Sea of Galilee and he stood there in Peter's boat. They went out a little bit from the shore and he taught the people and as the people began to, to go away, he looked at Peter and said, launch out into the deep and he understood Peter had already been fishing all night. They'd been cleaning up the nets. They'd been pulling the boat in to go home for the day and, and Peter reluctantly obeyed and we saw God fill that net with fishes to a point to where the net was breaking, the ship was sinking, and uh, God showed his power to Peter and then called him to start fishing men at that point. And Jesus is back here in Capernaum uh, where not too long before he healed Peter's mother-in-law, he cast a demon out in the synagogue, and uh, now we find him here in verse 12, uh, about to do some more incredible things there outside the city first and then as he moves in. Uh, there in, in, in the house when all the people surrounded. So let's look here at verse 12 of Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> it says, And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee, and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. The message today is entitled, Only Jesus Can Forgive Sins. Only Jesus can forgive sins. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, the privilege that it is to be here together today. And God, I pray at this moment, God, we've laid aside any, any sin in our hearts, any sin in our minds. Lord, the burdens we may be carrying, the problems we may have at work, at home. And God, I pray right now that we can lay all those distractions aside and God, receive your engrafted word. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we receive it, as we hear it, God, to be doers of it. Lord, to be helped by it. I pray that our faith would be strengthened. I pray that our witness would be uh, given more boldness. God, I pray that you would just bless 
the service in a special way. Be with me as I preach. And I insist in your name. Amen. You may be seated. In the last month of this study in the book of Luke, if we were not already aware, we have been definitively reminded that Jesus has the power to intervene in lives and show himself to be powerful. And in this text, we see several people who had a need and came to Jesus for it. And these people went to Jesus, leaving everything in his hands. And I'm thankful this morning that Jesus can change lives by his power and by his touch. And we're here in Luke chapter 5, and we get to verse 12, and we see this interaction between Jesus and a leper. And we understand this man had a disease, leprosy, that would attack the nerves of the body. And as this disease would go throughout his body, it would eat away his flesh, it would attack the nervous system, eventually causing him to not be able to feel anything. And even today, there's over 200,000 people with leprosy. In the U.S., about 100 people are diagnosed still with leprosy every year. I'm not trying to bring any fear to you this morning, but it's still a disease that is, that, that is happening in the, in the world that we live in. But it was much more prevalent than 100 people in the days of Christ. And if we go back to the Old Testament times and, and the times of Jesus here that we're looking at, if anyone was to come about with leprosy and and come down with that disease it was considered a curse to the people and if you had it you would be thought of not just as a unclean person but as a person in sin and it must have been because of some sin in your life or somebody else's that this disease came and lepers would be cast out of the city uh, not only for preventative reasons with this disease but as a sign that they have been cut off from fellowship with God and his people. And you could imagine they lived miserable existences. You know, last Sunday night, we looked there in the book of 2 Kings of these four lepers that were there, and we referenced them just, just a little bit to, to think about how difficult it must have been to live outside the gates of the city. And, and if you were to ever enter in, you would have to declare you were unclean repeatedly to make sure people were aware so you wouldn't be killed. And, and, we, and we look here in this text, Luke was describing this leper and he could have just said a leper approached and we would have, un- have understood that this was a very sick man. But he, he said he was not only a leper, he was full of leprosy. It had completely taken over his body to a point where anyone could see him and know he was t- overtaken by it. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see a picture of someone in the modern day that still has that disease. It fully affects the body. It, it, it brings them to a point eventually of death. Everyone knew what this man was overtaken by. He had a great problem in his life that brought great suffering. But he had faith to know Jesus could help. And we see him approaching Jesus there in our first verse there in verse 12. And and he went to Jesus with the desire to be clean. I like to imagine this day as Jesus was there, most likely outside the gates of the city where the lepers were, and this man saw Jesus, he came to him, he approached him, he fell on his face, he got low before him in desperation, knowing Jesus was the only one who could help him. And as he approached Jesus, he called him Lord. He didn't call him teacher. He didn't call him prophet. He called him Lord, recognizing him as the supreme authority and the one that could do something to help him. As he understood his problem, As he understood his condition, he recognized the only one who could help him. And we see what he says here as he came to Jesus there at the end of the verse. He said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. 
If you will, you can. He knew who could help him. There was great faith in this statement as he approached Jesus. And and I want to encourage you this morning to have that same awareness and expectations of God each and every day of your life. You know, God is still, first of all, in the life-saving business. And if you're in here this morning and you know without a shadow of a doubt you're going to heaven, you've experienced the life-saving that Jesus has done for you. But he's not just in the life-saving business, he's in the life-changing business. And understanding how this leper approached Jesus, knowing who he was and, and coming to him with that humility as he did, he said, Lord, if you will, you can. And there may be something in your life this morning that you need to go to Jesus about, go to your God about and say, Lord, if you will, you can work in my life in this way. If you will, you can strengthen my marriage. If you will, you can help me with this sickness. If you will, you can help me in this difficult situation. If you will, you can help me raise my children or have an effect on this person or or reach this person. If you will, you can. Do you understand this morning who your God is? Do you see him as this leper saw him? Supreme. Full authority over everything. Do you see him as supreme over the trial in your life? Supreme over the uncertainty you're facing right now? Supreme over the problem in the family? Do you see him supreme over your lack of ability or your lack of confidence to make a difference for him in this world we live in? This man said, Lord, if thou will, you can. And what did Jesus do? He delivered. As you see this interaction, it says there in verse 13, and he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Again, we see the compassion of Jesus. He reached out his hand and he touched him. Just a few moments ago, we referenced the law and we referenced what it was like for a person with leprosy in that day and age and especially in a Jewish community. And according to the law and common sense of anyone understanding that disease, no one was supposed to touch anyone with leprosy. There's a lot of things that would happen to an individual uh, in the, in the, according to the law if that rule was broken. And here we find a man that no one wanted to touch. No one wanted to be around, no one wanted to help, but Jesus reached out his hand and he placed it on him. And if this man was full of leprosy and this disease was so, uh, had so much taken over his life, you could imagine it had been years in this man's life since anyone showed any compassion on him or anyone reached out their hand and touched him. Years since he's experienced care or love. He was avoided. But Jesus showed compassion. And Jesus loved him. According to the law, as Jesus touched this man, he had, if, if, if anyone had been there to witness it, they would have called him unclean. And as Jesus touched him, he, in, his, in, in his skin, he became unclean himself. And it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for lost sinners. The Bible tells us he became sin for us that we might be made clean. In Peter's first letter, he said, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead unto sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. 
And just as Jesus reached out and touched this leper, at this point in, in history, he is still touching lives today. You know, I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, no one is beyond the touch of Jesus. And I, and I think this morning, just from communicating with, with each and every person here, we have all experienced his touch. Do you remember how it felt to be helpless? How it felt to be without hope? How it felt in that uncertain moment of your life or, or just the possibility, the hope that you may have had to, to one day go to heaven or the wonder you may have had or the uh, insecurity you had in your eternal situation. But since Jesus touched your life, since you accepted him as your Savior, he made a difference that no one else could. You've experienced the power of his touch. Jesus had compassion on this man. And he didn't just have compassion. He didn't just reach out and touch him. He healed him. You look there in verse 13. He said, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. I love how quickly Jesus works. Salvation is something that happens in a moment. It's not a life of trying to attain something. It happens in a moment. Another picture of what Jesus does for the sinner, this leper that was full of leprosy was immediately clean. And the, and the sinner without Christ that, that puts their faith and trust in him is immediately cleansed from everything they've ever done or ever will do. It's for everyone. The Bible says it's for the whole world, for the whosoever. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy and, and he said, he's speaking of Christ, he said, who will have all men to be saved. Not just a select group of people, not just the good ones, all men. That's his desire. But Jesus is not only willing to save, he is also able to save. And we look in the book of Hebrews where it says he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. It doesn't matter how far away a person may be away from Christ or how deep in sin a person may be or how much they have, they have, they have spent their life just trying to deny him or go against him or, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter how far. Jesus is still able to save to the uttermost, and we can praise him for that. This man was healed. And after he was healed, Jesus gave him some special instructions there in verse 14. It says, he charged him to tell no man but go and show thyself to the priest. He wanted him to honor the process that a person would need to do to be entered back into society. They would have to, if you look in the book of Leviticus, and you would find the instruction given to them. They'd have to wait eight days. And at the end of eight days, they, the healed leper would be given a certificate, giving confirmation he'd been healed to prove to whoever wanted to deny it. And after that was over, there'd be a celebration. They would sacrifice a dove, and then at the end of the week, they would sacrifice a lamb, and they would take the blood from that lamb, and they would put it on the ears of the lepers as a symbol of being covered by the blood. And, G and Jesus instructed this man to do right, to go to the priest, to, even though he knows he's completely clean, even though Jesus healed him all the way, he wanted him to go through the process as a testimony of doing right, and then as a testimony of the work that Jesus could do for anyone. Right there in verse 14. He says, do as, as Moses commanded at the end of the verse for a testimony unto them. 
I think it'd be safe for us to say this, this priest that this leper was about to go to had probably never seen a leper cleansed. He probably never exercised the commandments in the process that he knew very well in Leviticus chapter 14. But on this day, this priest was going to be made aware that there was someone there that was able to do what no one else could do. And what a testimony that is for people to see what Jesus did for this man. What a testimony it is when Jesus comes into the life of a sinner and changes a life. When he liberates a soul from bondage and he sets that sinner free, it's a wonderful thing. I can think of my life, I can think of where I would be without Christ. I can think of as a young man being bitter at different things in this world and being far from God, having no desire to serve him, no desire to to please him with my life. And as soon as I chose Jesus, as soon as I gave my life back to him, the difference he made There's many people in this world, people in this auditorium this morning that may have been farther than that at one point. You may have looked at your life and you may not have seen hope or you had uncertainty of your eternal destiny. But Jesus came in and he brought a change and what a testimony it is when Jesus can come into a life and change the heart as he does. Couldn't imagine being this leper at this point. Jesus gave him strict instructions. Don't tell anybody. Go through the process. I like to believe he did go through the process. We have a little bit of evidence to suggest this man couldn't help but tell some people along the way. Now we look there in verse 15. It says, so much the more the fame, there was fame abroad of him. If we were to look in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 1 and verse 45, Jesus told, gave him those instructions, and then he says, it says, but he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city. He didn't really follow instructions. This fame of Jesus began to spread quickly about what he did for this man without hope and his ability to heal. And, and Jesus at this point, he went out to the wilderness for a season of prayer with his father. And after a time of, of prayer, I don't know exactly how long it was, he went back into the city of Capernaum. And if you we were to look in, in the parallel text there in Mark, after Jesus came back there in Mark chapter 2, he was teaching a group of people in the house, just like we find there in verse 17. We have a little bit more information in the other Gospels about exactly where he was. We don't know for sure. Many commentators believe he was back in the house of Peter, and that's how I like to view it. But if you believe something different, I'm not going to argue with you. But as we get back to the text here in Luke chapter 5, Pharisees and scribes had made their way in to hear Jesus teach. But not just Pharisees and scribes, all the people that had heard of what Jesus could do began to fill the house. And they began to surround the house and and made their way down the streets. They were on roofs, they were in trees, trying to hear whatever they could from Jesus, trying to get a glimpse of him. And Jesus taught everyone who was there. And as Jesus was there teaching, as he was there sharing uh, the, the word of God with those that were there, as he was maybe telling parables to them. There were four men that had a friend without hope. We, we read here in 
verse 18, it says, And behold, men brought in a bed which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. This was a man sick of the palsy, and this was another disease that had brought paralysis to this certain individual. He's most likely laying on the streets day by day, maybe there by the pool as many did in those day and age. Waiting for an opportunity for something to change. But no help. And these four men, they grabbed him and each took a corner of his cot and they carried him to the house where Jesus was. And as they got to the house, they realized they weren't able to enter into the door. The back entrance wasn't available. If they even got to the door, they wouldn't be able to make their way to Jesus with all the people that had been crammed into there. And so they tried to figure out another way. And in verse 19, it tells us, they went onto the house and they let him down through the tiling with, by his couch. If you look in, in your bulletin there, there's an example of what many of these houses would have looked like in that day. They would have rock and mud covering, there'd be a straw-covered roof, there'd be some tiles there on the roof, there'd be some wood to help finish it off. And these men, they went up to the top of the roof and they wanted to get their friend to Jesus so badly that they carried him up there. They started pulling away the straw, the tiles, the wood on top, and they began to lower him down to where Jesus was. Could you imagine that? I was just talking to, to some of you in here a couple weeks ago about I'm not, I don't really get distracted as I'm preaching. I'm kind of zoned in, and it would take a lot to distract me or to, or to get me off what I'm, what, I, what I'm trying to deliver here. But I would imagine if I was preaching this morning and we heard a little bit of noise up there and some dust fall down and a, and a man on a rope coming down in the middle, I think I would notice that. Actually, it would be kind of neat. I don't know if I'd be opposed to it. It's quite the sight. It was kind of out-of-the-box thinking. These men, these, these four men did whatever they could to get this man without hope the help they needed. We look there in verse, verse 18, it says, they sought means to bring him in. You know, we, we really might not be able to blame these people if they, they saw this man in need and they carried him to the house and they get there, they, they try to make their way through the front door. Maybe they're talking to some people to try to, if they can make a gap to carry him in, nobody's listening. You know, I, I, I wouldn't really blame them too much if they would have stopped at that point and said, we'll try again tomorrow. There's really no way to get him to Jesus. But it says they, they sought means to bring him in. And it says, and when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went on the housetop and they figured out a way. You know, that same heart needs to beat within each and every one of us. As long as it is biblical, <laughs> do what we can to get people to Jesus. I want to encourage you, don't hold anyone hostage. Don't go pick up somebody and put a bag over their head and bring them in here. Don't use blackmail. You want those big manila envelopes to get somebody to come. Don't withhold checks or promotions from employees to get them to come to church. But we should be willing to work hard and sometimes be uncomfortable to get people to a point where they can hear what Jesus has for them. Is there someone you want to see saved? Is there someone you're burdened for? 
You know, these men were willing to do something as crazy as tearing up a roof of someone else's house to get their friend to Jesus. And it wasn't just one man. It took four men to make this happen. I want to encourage you today, church, it's going to take each and every one of us, it's going to take all of us to reach who needs to be reached. These men knew who could help this this man with paralysis, and they trusted Jesus to meet the need. And I want to tell you today, God can use you. And whatever God has for us to do, we can get done by his spirit, with his help. And we understand Jesus healed this man. Now at this moment, this man had been lowered from the roof, and he's there at the feet of Jesus. and, And Jesus, at that point, did what only God can do. He looked at him there, laying on the ground. And as he saw him there, in verse 20, he says, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Wait a second. This is a crippled man. Wasn't able to do anything on his own, and he was brought to Jesus for healing. But Jesus looks at him, doesn't heal him, he deals with his sins. You know, these, these four men that brought this man to Jesus and, and the crowd that was there, they saw this man and they were wondering exactly what Jesus was going to do. And they thought his greatest problem was his paralysis. But Jesus saw his greatest problem as something else. Paralysis wasn't his greatest problem. Sin was his greatest problem. And Jesus decided to deal with that first. And I want to tell you today that, that sin is our greatest problem as well. And sin is the greatest problem of those out in this world that are without Christ, that are struggling in, in many different avenues of life. But all too often in our personal lives and all too often in the lives of others, we are focused on the physical. On the things that we can see, on the things that we think we can help. And we do not give enough thought quite often to the spiritual things. And the greatest need in your life right now, the greatest need in my life at this moment is not a physical need. It doesn't matter what we may be facing, our greatest need will always be and has always been spiritual. And the only place we will find that help is in Jesus. Forgiveness is mankind's greatest need and God's greatest gift. Jesus forgave this man of his sins. Verse 21, he just made this proclamation that many had never heard before and that the Pharisees were hoping would happen. They weren't there to learn, they were there to find faults. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They began to whisper with each other and, and look to each other thinking, who does this guy think he is? He, he, he's not just here teaching these people and, and acting as if he has authority. He just looked at this individual and he forgave him of his sins. Only God can do that. And, and, and no doubt these men are steaming and, and, and they're upset about what they're hearing and they're, they're whispering with each other and they have these thoughts going through their head. And what does it say there in verse 22? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts... I believe Jesus wasn't hearing what these Pharisees were saying, but he knew exactly what they were thinking. And 
as he heard their thoughts, he, he knew what was going on. And we'll see again in the next chapter in just a few weeks there in verse 8 again. He says, but he knew their thoughts. There was another man, another time where he was being judged for what he was doing and what he was saying and the acts that were going on. He knew what was, what was going through their heads. And then he looked at them. Back in the text, as, as, as they were going through this, he looked at them and he said, what reason you in your hearts? You're having trouble understanding this, aren't you? You're confused, you're upset with, with what I just did. And then, he, and then he said in the next verse, what do you think is easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? What would make more sense to us? It's easy for someone to say something. But for power to be shown in another avenue, that's something different. One thing we can see, another we can't. Look at verse 14 of this chapter. And he charged him, this is when he's with the man with leprosy, to tell no man but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And then verse 24. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. Twice in this text we're told why Jesus did what he did. Those verses give us the main point of this passage. And you may have wondered as we were reading this morning, we read one about a man with leprosy, we read the other story we've heard so many times about a man that was lowered through the roof so Jesus could save him. But I don't believe this morning we're looking at two unrelated stories. We're looking at, at, at two different episodes in the life of Jesus that are emphasizing the same point. The very heart of this passage is the forgiveness of sins. He made it very clear there in verse 24. There's a question that is raised and it is, it is who can fix the sin problem? Who can, who can help annihilate the consequences of sin? We understand the consequences of sin this morning. We can look in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, wherefore, as by one man, which is Adam, sin entered into the world. Death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is what? None righteous, no, not one. Verse 23 of that chapter, for all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. We understand since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, all men have been cursed with sin. And the Bible tells us because of our sin, it doesn't matter how much good we may do in this world. It doesn't matter if we sin one time in our life because of that sin that is in our life. We cannot attain heaven. We cannot attain righteousness. And we could try to weigh our good things against the bad things, but no matter how we may try to do that, no matter how many things we may try to do to offset what we have done in our sin condition, nothing will ever be enough. And what Jesus was trying to get them to understand at this point in his ministry was his main objective was not healing people, was not just teaching them, was not just performing miracles, but his main objective was to forgive sins. And he showed them here in this passage that he had the power and authority to forgive sins. And he had the power and authority to forgive sins because he's the son of man. He's the Messiah. He's God in the flesh. He's the second person of the Trinity. 
He was showing them that Jesus of Nazareth, the one that they looked at as just a good prophet or a, a, a good teacher, was not just a moral prophet. He was the Son of God who came to seek and to save that which was lost and to be the Savior for the whole world. He's the one who can forgive sins. And then he completed the healing. He healed him of his paralysis after he forgave his sins. So he looked at them and he said, what's harder for you to hear? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? One thing you can see, one thing you can't. So after he forgave this man sick of the palsy of his sins, he looked at him. told him to take up his couch and go home. They had just heard him say, this man's sins were forgiven. They don't have anything to base that off of. But as they see him heal someone, he proves his deity. And he tells them there you, that you may know the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. In the Mark account he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He goes, you've heard me say those words. And you were appalled by it. You didn't believe it. You don't believe my words here. Let me show you what my words can do. And as he healed this man, he showed that he has power on earth to forgive sins. And he, and he proved that time and time again for those who came to him. And there may be people here in, in this auditorium, I don't think there are. There's, there's, there's people that we're going to come across in our life that, that are not convinced that Jesus can make a difference. There's people that are doubting that through what Jesus did, they can attain heaven or there's no way to, to, to get there. But I tell you today, there's no way to get to heaven without Jesus. He possesses the power to forgive sins. And if you need forgiveness, you can, you can come to Jesus and find all the forgiveness you need. The Bible tells us Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will what? In no wise cast out. That is anyone. He has the power here on earth for sins to be forgiven. But there's another thing we're reminded of, not just is he forgiving sins on earth? But this is the only place to be, have forgiveness of sins. One day it's going to be too late. It'll be too late to be forgiven when life is over. And if you expect to, to meet Jesus in heaven and have him weigh your good against your bad and let you into heaven that way, We'll find out that's not how it works. But the time to come to Jesus is now. The time for us to reach people is now. When someone leaves this world in death, it's too late to make any preparations for eternity. No second chances, no more opportunities. It has to be dealt with on this earth or a person dies and goes to hell. Jesus can forgive sins. Every sin. And we look here in Luke chapter 5 and we see a man 
arriving lost in sin, lying on a cot, leaving forgiven, carrying his bed home. Because Jesus has the authority. And as everyone saw this happen, and as they were convinced of his power to forgive sins, the response of the lame man who was healed and saved went glorifying God. And we look there in verse 26, and it says, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God. They were amazed at what God did for that man. That man glorified God for what he had done for him. And if Jesus has forgiven your sins, and if Jesus has brought great change to your life, is that your reaction as well? Are you glorifying God? I've made a, a decent amount of furniture for our house. I've got a lot of things I'm, some things, not a lot. I've got a few things I'm proud of and a lot of things I'm not, little th- some things I'm embarrassed about. But I've made a few things, a a porch swing, a couple kitchen tables, built a deck on our house a few years ago before we moved from Indiana. And uh, last year, Hallie really wanted us to have a new table in the the kitchen area. We already had a dining room one, but she wanted a new one in the kitchen area. And and so she did what many wives do. She, She planned a party, so I had to have it done by a deadline. And so we did that. And I worked for a couple couple evenings to get this done and and got this table done, and it, it, we, were, we were pretty happy with it. And I remember the party on that Saturday. We had all kinds of people over at the house, and different people are, are coming and moving throughout, and some sit at the table, go to the living room, move around. And, but Ruby, our, our, our little twin, kept coming over to the table, and it didn't matter who was there. She would say, do you like this table? She, she, and she kept saying, my daddy's a good maker. He's good at making things. See this table? My dad made it. It's really nice, isn't it? He's a good maker. Over and over again, she did that. One after the other, telling people the same thing. She thought I could do something nobody else could do, and she was pretty proud of that. And she wanted to tell other people. You know, only Jesus can forgive sins. And if you've experienced it, give God the glory. And let it motivate you to a point where you can't help but tell people what your Heavenly Father has done for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed.